It's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel, or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training. Well, I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O-E-S.com. Ladies and gentlemen, Joy Kitty. Welcome to the show, Joy. Welcome to Become Your Own Superhero. How are you? Not too bad. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Joy Joy Kitty is a, an extraordinary woman and a registered dietitian. She's also known as the low-carb, healthy-fat dietitian, amongst other things. What else can you tell us about the wonderful Joy Kitty? I used to just be the fat dietitian. <laughs> Seriously. I uh, practiced dietetics in BC for, let me think now, about 12 years. And I was obese. I had type 2 diabetes. I had hypertension. I had mast cell activation disorder. And a bunch that, of other what's things. What's that? What's that? Oh, it's it's nasty. It's kind of like masto, mastocytosis, but um, not genetic. It's, What's uh, mastocytosis? It's where your mast cell your mast cells hold histamine, and you know when you you have allergies, it releases histamine. Well, I was doing that all the time, so I was having anaphylactic attacks to like smells. Um, yeah, just it's it's horrible. And there's a whole specialized diet to try to, you know calm down the mast cells. Um, long story short, uh, when I didn't teach people how to lose weight, uh, I was an obese dietitian. Who was I to tell people how to lose weight? Uh, my area of practice was through my practice, which I still have called Better by Design Nutrition or bpdnutrition.com. And I taught food allergy, food sensitivity, IBS, celiac disease, um, mast cell activation disorder, things like that. And when people would come to me for, you know, assistance with weight loss, I said, I am really not in a position to give you anything other than the standard advice, because as you can see, I'm an obese dietitian. And um, And just how obese were you, Joy? Just for some context. um, I was in stage uh, class two obesity. So as a as a BMI, a BMI you know, well over thirty. Okay, so you're a well big girl. You're yeah, a I big was, girl. You haven't seen my pictures on my webpage. You got to go no, check. I them know. Out. I have. I have. But I'm trying to paint a picture for <laughs> for someone who might be listening to this. You've got to see. But they they can go to lchf-rd.com and right on the front page is a little snippet of pictures, two pictures. But you can go to uh, food for thought tab, which is where I have over 200 articles, referenced articles that I've written over the last five years. And at the very top of that is a link to A Dietitian's Journey, which is my two-year story of how I went from being obese, having type 2 diabetes, having not only hypertension, but a hypertensive emergency where I really should have been hospitalized. 
um, and um, deciding one day when I was sitting in my office and I didn't feel well and not knowing quite what kind of not well I, I was feeling. So I went and took my blood pressure and it was so high that if I would have gone to my doctor that afternoon, he would have sent me in an ambulance to the hospital. He would not have let me drive. Wow. And then I took my blood sugar and it was an hour after I ate and it was 13.2. Which for people listening, you're like a, about, a fat. Uh, I'd have to convert it, but it's. Uh, no, it's, it's what we use over here. So, okay. So if you woke up in the morning and you were, and you were about a five, that's about Oh, a I wasn't a five a in the morning. Yeah. That usually most people are below a five, 4.7, 4.9. I, I, my morning blood sugars were 8.2, 9.2. My last fasting blood glucose that I took before I turned low carb was 10.2. And so you basically uh, got Coca-Cola running through your veins at that point. <laughs> basically, yeah. So I was a sick lady. I, so I, I used to joke to people that I'm, you know, I'm the fat dietitian. Well, now I'm the low carb healthy fat dietitian. I'm no longer the fat dietitian. Did any of your patients give you or clients give you any grief at any point? Did anyone ever just say, hey, hey, what are you talking about, fatty? Well, the thing is I wasn't teaching people how to eat to lose weight. That wasn't my practice. My practice was specializing in the area of food allergy and sensitivity and gut gut issues and, uh, you know, uh, anti-inflammatory protocols. And so since I wasn't giving anybody advice about how they should eat or lose weight, Nobody had any issue. Actually, I, I just told the story actually on another um, podcast that I was on that was just posted this morning about I was a year into my weight loss journey. I had lost about half my weight. I had already lost six inches off my waist and at that point about three and a half inches off my neck and about 25 or 30 pounds. And someone in the low carb community basically said to me, you have no right to, to teach anybody how to lose weight until you deal with your own, you know, being fat. And I said, you know, I've been teaching this for two years and I've been doing it for a year. And what makes me credible is the science it's based on, not my body weight. My body weight will catch up with, you know, the science as I keep doing this. But what made me competent to counsel others wasn't my, my body weight. It was what I knew from the scientific literature about low-carbon, healthy-fat um, diets. Which is, which is like a rational response, I suppose. And I, and I think, but when you're dealing with human beings, having experienced this myself uh, and being treated, tra- being treated better when you are fit and healthy. Like, oh, yeah. There, there is a, there is I'm a more credible, I'm more credible at my body weight at a normal body weight, having all of these things in remission, but competent, my competency is based on what I know and what's true in, in the science. So I actually wrote a blog, which is still on one of the 200 articles that's on there, but what is it being competent? What is it to be competent to counsel? What does my body weight have to do with my competence? What, what does my body weight have to do with the accuracy of the science? Absolutely nothing. My credibility, yeah. yes. I, yeah. You know, but I would show people the picture and I have it actually in my right back here. I'm going to show it to you. You, you hang on. You, I'm going to go yeah, get yeah. it. Yeah, let's, let's, for, for people listening, we're really sorry, but 
Joyce walking over to her her other desk there and is about to show us something quite remarkable. And I'll and describe it's posted. It it's on my webpage. I want to see your face first and your reaction <laughs> to it, because this is what I would do when I would be sitting in my office a year into my weight loss journey, teaching people how to do a low carb, healthy fat diet. And I'd say, look, I'm, you know, looking at me, you wouldn't think I really, you know, what do I know about weight loss? I said, but this is what I look like before. You look like an extra out of Miami Vice. And it doesn't even, doesn't even resemble Joy Kitty at all. My goodness. Wow. So that's, that's on that's on my blog. I, I think it's on uh, the third one from the bottom at the beginning we'll, of a diet. We'll link that in. We'll link that in the description of the show notes. Okay. I I was watching you on a on a ski machine. I think it might have been uh, oh, on one of your older <laughs> yes. YouTube videos. <laughs> my and Nordic was, track. <laughs> yeah, the Nordic track. And I was like, uh, you were talking, and I was like, Joy's accent's different back then. And then I realised you were breathless because you were so fat. And, and that was and that was after that was probably about three or four months into the journey. If you go to um, the beginning of the dietitian's journey, the third one from the bottom, when you go right to the beginning, there's a video of me walking at Coquitlam Center in the area of Vancouver that I live one week into when I started. And I'll give you the link to that one to put on your um, show notes I couldn't walk and talk at the same time. Yeah, I, you're you're a big this girl. Four, three three or four months later, I was doing Nordic track and talking. I couldn't even walk and talk when I started. Well, I, I want to explore some of the background of this, Joy, because you like you haven't been like this your whole life. In fact, you were an elite level athlete for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. So well. can we just we dial it back a little bit? Sure. Into your early days, you grew up in. Well, you're in Van, near Vancouver. No, I grew moment. up in Montreal. In Montreal, mm-hmm. and did, like, what was life like growing up for you as it was a kid? Great. I uh, was very involved in dance. I was a ballet dancer, and uh, our family moved to Ottawa, and I got the opportunity to train with the Royal Ballet of Canada Junior Troupe. And that I did for probably six to eight hours a week at, I don't know, 10 years old, 11 years old. And um, until I broke the bone in the top of my foot and I could no longer wear toe shoes, I couldn't dance. Had an operation on my foot and that was the end of my dancing career. Um, And I, it was heartbreaking. I mean, my whole life was ballet and I dreamt of actually joining the Royal Ballet of Canada and becoming a, you know, diet, you know, professional dancer but that wasn't going to happen once they took the bone out of my uh out of the top of my foot so um i i took up horseback riding which i enjoyed a uh english style jumping it was fun uh i was terrible at it but <laughs> i enjoyed it and then a number of years later i um took up karate um shotokan karate and um then I took up also Shito Ryu, which is another style of karate. One's a long stance and one's a short stance, and I did both. And I was working on my black belt in Shotokan and my uh, blue belt in uh, Shito Ryu uh, when I got pregnant with twins. <laughs> and that was the end of that career. 
So I had twins and then they came three months early and then I conceived a third child. So I had three children in 14 months. And needless to say, my body was never the same after that. And uh, yeah. Well, you're a woman of action. There's no denying that. <laughs> <laughs> and and yep. what, what happened when you got pregnant? Did, was there, because I've, I've spoken to a few female friends of mine that have been on a low carb uh, protocol before they got pregnant. And when they got pregnant, certainly in the first trimester, they started craving a lot of carbohydrate and, and even just like felt guilty for the amount of junk that they were eating. What, what, what happened to you, if anything, that you noticed? I was, I was very, very fit when I got pregnant and uh, I ate what was believed to be a healthy diet, lots of healthy whole grains, lots of fruits and vegetables, not too much meat, lots of fish, uh, tofu. And so I was healthy in terms of body weight and um, body mass index and waist to hip ratio and all of those kinds of things. But I didn't have blood work, um, the kind of blood work I would look at now. I mean, my, my blood glucose was normal, but, you know, people could look at the, the articles I've written on my webpage and find out that normal blood glucose, fasting blood glucose and hemoglobin A1C could be normal and your insulin is can be through the roof. And so long before the blood glucose gets abnormal, insulin gets abnormal. I am sure my insulin was abnormal, uh, even though, you know, on paper, everything looked great. I'd go to the doctor. Yeah, you're fine. Um, but eating that many carbs, um, you know, healthy whole grains and lots of fruit. I loved fruit. And I used to believe that, well, fruit has the same nutrients as vegetables. So if you prefer fruit, eat fruit. Uh, yeah, fructose <laughs> fructose does a number on your liver and on your insulin. And um, so I was healthy on paper. But metabolically, we know that type 2 diabetes starts a good 14 to 20 years before blood sugar gets abnormal. So you add 20 years onto the age I was when I conceived my twins and bingo, I was diabetic. <laughs> and then along the lines of what usually happens. A few years later, my blood pressure started to go up. And then my doctor wanted to put me on, you know, metformin and ramipril and statins and no, 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 I'm going to do it by diet. But what diet did I have that was an option? What was I going to do? Um, low fat? Calorie restriction? The reason I stayed fat as long as I did is I've seen so many people lose weight and gain weight, lose weight and gain weight. And I knew, I didn't know anyone who lost weight using a calorie restricted low fat diet that kept it off. I've never seen anybody, not my clients. I didn't teach diet, weight loss. I hadn't seen anybody who had lost weight and kept it off. I knew lots of people who had lost weight and gained it, regained it, and then some over and over and over again. So I, I made the decision to stay fat because I knew metabolically that was less risk to my body than to yo-yo diet. And I said, when I, find, when I figure out what can be done that I can lose weight once and keep it off, I'll do that. And I have. That was March 5th, 2017 was the day I decided to adopt a low-carbohydrate lifestyle. And 
I desired, desired to put my type 2 diabetes into remission, my hypertension into remission. Didn't even mention my mast cell activation disorder because I didn't know that could go into remission. And it's all associated with cytokine storms, which we all have heard about from COVID. And lo and behold, low, low carb um, and then a ketogenic diet helped me put that into remission too. So um, I did it once and I've kept it off. It's almost a year and a half. Well, congratulations, firstly. And, and secondly, just, just I think the danger in us certainly being in this low-carb bubble, Joy, is that the, the lingo can get away from us at times. And for someone that isn't totally across uh, a lot of the, the jargon that we're using here, the zytokines, can you explain? In a oh, little cytokines bit has nothing to do with, um, with low carb. Cytokines are basically uh, to do with inflammation and uh, the body's reaction to in, uh, a threat. And so uh, this is a, a whole other topic to do with mast cell disorder. But low, uh, to put a long story short, uh, a low carbohydrate diet and particularly a ketogenic diet has um, the ability to lower a lot of inflammatory markers for a lot of different disorders. And mast cell disorder was mine. And as it turned out, it lowered the inflammation that was associated with the triggering of my mast cells from degranulating and in response to uh, numerous things, including putting me into anaphylaxis, which is not being able to breathe at all and having to use an EpiPen. Um, but Lowering inflammation is is really the key to it, which is something that's low carbohydrate and uh, and um, ketogenic diets are used in things like MS and lupus and rheumatoid arthritis to lower inflammatory markers. So it's there are therapeutic, therapeutic uh, side effects or or benefits from using a low carbon ketogenic approach that is beyond weight loss and and reversing metabolic disease. I'm so glad you brought this up, Joy, because this is one of the, the things that I've been trying to explain to people for for really two years. Because when when through my own health journey, and I and I adopted a largely carnivorous diet. Uh, it's nearly my second year anniversary, and I was 38 really when I started it, and I used to suffer from loads of back pain, lower back pain. And a lot of joint pain, which mm-hmm. I attributed to my very active lifestyle playing the game of cricket, which is mm-hmm. probably one of the most That's unnatural a cool sports. <laughs> it is. It's a very cool sport, but it's not. It's not. We haven't evolved to play cricket. No, I don't think so. <laughs> and uh, you know, a lot of a lot of bowlers. Uh, you know, it's, it's not a. You don't tend to stick around very long and age-wise playing a competitive level of cricket at least. Yeah, but I, exactly. I've been able to keep playing and, and have probably played my best cricket. And and I don't I don't get the pain that I used to get anymore. And I have spent tens of thousands on chiropractic appointments, <laughs> physio, remedial, like, and, and unbeknownst to me, it was all to do with an inflammatory response yeah. to do with my diet and certainly cutting out, you know, gluten initially, back pain. Seed oils. Seed oils, like this is these are some of just the amazing side effects that you get, mm-hmm. let alone the weight loss. Yeah, that the anti-inflammatory benefits. People will come to me to have them me teach them an anti-inflammatory protocol, which is a set protocol for people with, you know, uh, inflammatory diseases and especially arthritis. And what I tell them is, let's put you on a lower carb diet. 
and then lower the carbohydrates down as needed to achieve clinical outcomes. And if you still need me to teach you the anti-inflammatory protocol, I will, but about 80% of my clients feel amazing after and don't need the the anti-inflammatory protocol. So why should I sell them services they don't need? If a low-carb diet will get them into not having the inflammation and pain and stiffness. I have uh, osteoarthritis and uh, I have no pain. (laughs) I have my fingers look terrible. They're all deformed looking from having osteoarthritis, but I don't have any pain. So do I care? I don't really care. I can hold my pen in the morning and do my work. I can type. You just need to be a hand model for Sears. <laughs> well, maybe you will. Maybe the, the power of the low-carb diet. I mean, uh, anything's possible. <laughs> now I think about it. The thing now is, there's a lot of things it can't do. A lot of people, you hear people, and this is something that I haven't talked about on any other shows, and I think this would, would be a good uh, way to make this pretty unique, is people will make claims about a low-carb or ketogenic diet that are not true and that it can't do. It can't cure diabetes. You, it, there's th- this idea that it, it uh, reverses diabetes is simply not true. It'll put diabetes into remission. Remission meaning you no longer have the symptoms, but as soon as you start eating the way you used to eat before, all the symptoms will come back just like obesity will. I can put hypertension and and type two diabetes and obesity, and and pain from from arthritis into remission, but it doesn't reverse them. It doesn't make you cured. So you know when people say, "Oh, I'm I'm you know I reversed my diabetes." Dude, if you start eating spaghetti and bagels and and toast, you know, and and 300 grams of carbs a day, your diabetes will be back. Yeah. Maybe that's just a a, a lingo uh, challenge that we need to work on because I've certainly, I was pre-diabetic, but I know exactly what you're saying. If I I go and have two or three days where I reintroduce probably sugar, right, in the form of ice cream, a little (laughs) bit of emotional eating or whatever, I get I get itchy um, in the in the pinky toe in my, in my foot uh, and the and the next toe and and I and if I if I binge for like two or three days I get this crazy itchiness and when I in my drinking days my big toes uh, but in particular my left big toe would get tingly and I think it was a precursor to some kind of gout response and. Uh, and sure enough, if if I go and deviate from what I'm doing, it'll come back. But I can I can negate it and reverse it pretty damn quick. That's why people will say, well, you know, if you adopt a low carb lifestyle, you know, how, how many you know can you have a cheat day once a week? And I say that's like an alcoholic having a cheat day once a week. You can, you know, you can, but the insulin response that you have and what it sets in motion in terms of the craving for carbohydrates is simply not worth it. I did it a couple of times at the beginning. Uh, You know, a few months into it, I felt like having a slice of pizza. So I had a slice of pizza, actually I had two slices of pizza. I had a week of like feeling awful, like just terrible and cravings and Mm -hmm. uncontrollable hunger I was used to before when I was diabetic eating every hour and a half because that's what you're told you have to do to keep your blood sugars stable. Mm -hmm. 
And then, you know, when I adopted a low carb, then a ketogenic lifestyle, I could go six, eight, 10, 12 hours without eating. I did one meal a day for about six months. And I'd often forget that I hadn't eaten since the night before. It'd be like four o'clock and I go, she's, I'm hungry. Well, no wonder I hadn't eaten since the night before, but I wasn't hungry. All, I didn't think I could go an hour and a half without eating because the insulin was constantly driving that hunger. Yeah. And when people say, well, how often can I have a cheat day? I said, as often as you want to crave carbs, because that's what it'll do. It'll, it'll uh, cause your insulin levels to go up, which causes your hunger to go up. So if you, you binge once a week, it'll take it two or three days to get your insulin down in time to do it again. This makes no sense to me. Yeah, um, it's, it's a vicious circle, I must admit. Well, what are some strategies that, that – I don't know whether you know much about this, Joy. I'm guessing I'm, I'm looking at you and I'm thinking that you probably do. What are, what are some techniques that people can use that are on a low-carb protocol to help mitigate the cravings apart from abstinence? Um, eat, eat according to your circadian rhythms. How do you, how do you figure that to out? Your, um, well, um, I've got some articles written on it on my webpage, but there's quite a few people who've done research in circadian rhythms and how the body functions on a 24-hour cycle. Uh, one guy is Sachinanda Panda. He's written a book called The Circadian Code. Another fellow is Why We Sleep by, what's his name? Matthew Walker, PhD, both circadian biologists. Sachinanda Panda has an absolutely fantastic video on YouTube called Circadian Theory of Health. If people want to understand why they have diabetes and hypertension and everything else and why they're eating out of sync with how, you know, we didn't have lights in the middle of the night when we were hunter gatherers, when it was dark, we slept. Uh, when the sun came up, we were out in the sun getting sunlight and getting food. And so we ate at certain times, we slept at certain times and we, had, we evolved and adapted to a 24 hour cycle and Actually, all of the hormones in our body and all of the neurotransmitters and all of the things that we um, synthesize are all based on circadian rhythms. Our body, for example, our gut will only heal, um, the, the lighting of our gut will only heal at certain times in the night when we've been asleep for a certain number of hours. So people who eat, you know, after supper and before bed and have bedtime snacks and then it's four hours until they get into that place where their body can start to do it. And then it's time to get up because they're not sleeping eight hours. Yeah. So one of the simple straightforward thing is eat and sleep at, you know, this idea of three meals a day or two meals a day. I mean, breakfast as a whole is a pretty recent uh, invention. Like they used, we used to eat two meals a day. And then uh, Kellogg's decided to introduce three meals a day, largely for religious reasons, which I'm sure uh, um, Belinda Fetke's written a, lo a lot about if people want to know about that. Um, but eat when it's day, don't eat when it's night, and lights when you're exposed to um, LED lights or lights from your phone or your computer at night. It stimulates, it tells your body it's daytime. Uh, so getting filters, blue light filters, wearing blue blockers for to so that you feel sleepy and go to sleep when it's dark out and you're not eating <laughs> before. At, so just eating in accordance with our body's natural rhythm. 
and eating real whole food, eating the things our great grandparents would have recognized as food, meat, eggs, cheese, butter, lard, tallow. Um, but joy, aren't, aren't those things, aren't they saturated fats? Aren't they bad for me? Uh, your body makes saturated fat. If it was bad for you, you'd be dead. Because <laughs> this is in one the of abs- the things. In the absence of eating it, your body will synthesize it because it needs it. If this was something so deathly, you know, so so deleterious to us, why would our body make it? Amen. This is a recent thing. There's a recent article this year, I think, that finally came out debunking the link between animal saturated oh. fat and, and heart or cardiovascular. The American Journal of Cardiology. I've got the, the summary of that paper. I think it's the second to last one or third to last one on my blog. I wrote about it. So it's, it's, it's really important that people understand this as well because we have been drilled into us. And, and even when you say ingest heart-healthy grains or you know like it, even that that lingo that's we fine if you're a horse yeah yeah it's totally fine ruminant, if you're right? yeah exactly <laughs> so this is really important for people to understand it's like i think by weight our brain is 25 percent cholesterol just you know and our, the rest of our body is a percentage i don't know it's, it's pretty high as well it's and, also i know it's mostly dha and epa which are fats from long chain polyunsaturated fats, not the the kind that man-made ones, but the ones from fish and seafood. And and fats help us absorb nutrition and what else? What else are they good for? Like our our phospholipids, which is our entire cell structures, are made out of fats. Our brains are made out of fats. Our, our, uh, the integrity of our gut, everything, like lipids are necessary. And this is the thing with, with the seed oils. Uh, and my strength is not the chemistry. So I can't get into the chemistry with you. I'm a dietitian, not a chemist. But I do know I've read quite a bit about if people who are eating uh, these uh, polyunsaturated fatty acids, which are like canola oil, soybean oil, your body will take palmitate, which is palmitic acid, which is a saturated fat, which is supposed to be in the components of your brain. And they will substitute um, lipids from the polyunsaturated fatty acid. I think it's, um, I can't even remember which uh, fat gets substituted for the palmitic acid. And it'll just use what it's got instead, uh, which affects its it, the integrity of the, the cell membrane and te- it, it affects the, the, uh, the way it functions. So when we eat a diet that's, you know, um, what we've evolved to eat, what our ancestors ate, um, our body uses those fats appropriately. And when we sleep and eat according to our circadian rhythms, our body um, functions in a way that, it, that is optimal. But when we start introducing foods that only came about as the agricultural revolution, you know, we start introducing grains and, and seeds, seed oils and things like that. Um, and seed oils are pretty recent. They were really only 1930s when, you know, those came about. And, you know, I remember 1977, it was like, okay, we've got to stop 
eating saturated fats, saturated fats, bad for us. It's going to give us heart attacks. We've got to have, you know, polyunsaturated fats. These are what makes them polyunsaturated is they um, have lots of space for hydrogen to attach, which makes them easily oxidized, which means they go rancid. Why would you want cell membranes that are easily oxidized? Why would you want to eat fats that are not shelf-stable? Saturated fats are not easily oxidized. They're very stable. They don't go rancid. Um, so inflammation, um, Paul Mason, who spoke with me and Ivor Cummins at the uh, the summit a few weeks ago, explained- And was also a guest on the show. Check out that mind, interview, Paul, Dr. Paul Mason. Mind-blowing about what he talked about um, the uh, it's the oxidations of the polyunsaturated fats, and he he adjusted what I ble- I had always believed that the omega sixes were bad and the omega threes were good, and you know they branched off at you know arachidonic acid and based on competitive inhibition, and he showed in his talk how it's the oxidation of the um, polyunsaturated fatty acids, whether they're omega-3 or omega-6, that's causing a lot of these or leading to a lot of these um, deleterious effects in our health. And I have to go back and comb through his talk and get the papers and read them. I haven't yet. It's only been like three weeks ago that we did it. But he presented some fantastic information that again, is, is makes sense when you think of what the nature of polyunsaturated fatty acid is. These are not stable fats that are meant to be put in our cupboard, you know, uh, in a bottle that we pour to, you know, do our cooking. Or, you know, if I have several articles about um, industrial seed oils and how they go rancid when they're cooked, when they're heated. People are buying French fries or, or fish and chips or whatever that are cooked in these oils that when they're heated for longer than 20 minutes, break down and cause and, and produce carcinogens. So these are not fats that are doing, you know, we're taking in these, these um, carcinogenic byproducts into our body and then wonder like what, why is, you know, why are we getting metabolically ill? It's so interesting, Joy, like this, and this is the, the rabbit warren that I've been going down the last sort of four years, I think. Uh, the trying to explain to people, uh, my father, and I talk about him on the show often, and I even threw him under the bus when I had Tim Noakes on the show because <laughs> he's a type 2 diabetic and he's a stubborn bastard. And like he, he taunts me by talking about these beautiful fish and chips that he went and had on the weekend. And I just like shake my head. <laughs> like I've virtually given up on him because he's, he's, he's we've given up on himself really. Mm-hmm. And, and he just, he doesn't have the energy that he had. Like he's, he's what I would describe as a shell of his former self. And, you know, he's got, uh, five, four grandchildren, five, a fifth one on the way that he doesn't have the energy to engage with because he's so lethargic and, you know, he's a former heart patient and that kind of thing. And, it, and he's only young, he's 69. Yeah, and, that is and, young. and the, I mean, the reason I sort of talk about this is in the hope that, you know, if he does watch some of these episodes, that it will trigger him to do something about it, but it's more for other people like it's 
it's your responsibility to to take care of yourself. It's it's maybe not your fault that you ended up in the position that you are, but it's your responsibility to fix Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And and you've got this duty to to be there as, you know, particularly with family and to be there as a support crew and the value that my father can add with his years of wisdom and the, the wonderful, you know, you know, like I, I, this is, so I'm going to be, I'm going to be that great grandfather or the mm-hmm. great, 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 you know, grandfather. I want to live for as long as I can, as well as I can. And I reckon I've truly figured out, at least from a food point of view, how to do it. And, and one of the things about your health journey, Joy, like you've lost a lot of weight and you look like a different person. But I want to know, what are some of the other amazing positives from the weight loss that you didn't think were going to happen that happened? Hmm. I sleep better than I have in 25 years. And why is that important? Well, sleep is the key to lowering cortisol, lowering insulin. The only way I was able to finally get off uh, blood pressure meds, and that was about halfway through my journey, I still had high more, high blood pressure. And that's actually how I got into the whole circadian rhythm thing. I came across some research, some of the, um, the grad students in Sachinanda Panda's lab um, were doing research on... Uh, hypertension and sleep was supposed to be able to lower the cortisol to lower the insulin and lower blood pressure. And I said, damn, I'm going to try this. So I stopped eating, you know, at supper time, didn't eat anything in the evening, went to bed according to, you know, normal circadian rhythms. And I'd wake up rested. I stopped taking pills to sleep. I took pills to sleep for 25 years. Wow. I go to bed and I sleep. <laughs> I mean, and I'll get up several times in the night to go to the washroom, come back, fall asleep. What are the, I don't know if it's a positive benefit or, or a, a unexplained benefit is it's a year and a half and I still haven't got my head around the fact that I am the size I am. I'll get out of my car and look and say, oh, I don't have enough room to get out beside me that I'd have to like go to another spot so I can get out of my car. And then figure, oh, I'll try and squeeze out. I could squeeze out with my packages and my purse and everything and have more than enough room to spare. I'm not the size I was and my brain hasn't caught up with that. Uh, going like, you know, you're in a restaurant back in the day when we went to restaurants and there'd be a space behind, you know, tables and you're going to the washroom or whatever. And you think, I can't go through that space. I can go through that space with room to spare. Um, I do things that I couldn't do before. I, I'm not super athletic, I'm, um, but I, you know, walk and I hike and I, um, you know, go camping and just do th- just ordinary things that were just beyond me. I couldn't walk around the track at Coquitlam Center without being winded. and now I can walk for six or seven or eight kilometers with a friend while we're talking. I can't believe how well I am treated from the general Mm -hmm. public when I am, when I'm healthy. And, and, and I think it's like, I think, I think a lot of the stuff boils down to an evolutionary 
um, point of view, Joy. Mm. This is just my mm. opinion. But when I and, I, and I, and I've lost, I lost nearly 60 pounds. This is about 20 something about kilos. The, about the same, same amount of weight that I've lost. Yeah. But my, my physical body shape has totally morphed because I was storing water and like my pants, I went from a 38 to a 30 waist, depending mm-hmm. on which brand of clothes. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm, I'm quite a muscular guy, but my, I wear small to medium shirts from large mm-hmm. to extra large. And, uh, and like they're not super duper bone tight or anything, but people treat you better. And, and the thing I love about this whole concept is that people are like, well, you should treat everyone equally. Well, I'm sorry, Snowflake. That's not how it works, right? <laughs> the reality versus, you know, what this utopian society is. It doesn't work like that. And if you're a fatty boomba and, and, you, and, you, and you have no self-respect for yourself, not enough self-love to do something about it, I don't think well, you people don't know how. Or well, you don't know how, and, and we can explore how to do this, right? And I'm not. I don't. I don't want to. For people that want to change and that want to improve their life, you know, I'm a hundred percent behind anyone that wants to do that. But I know from my own experience, I didn't really love who I was, and 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 I, people weren't able to to love me or like me as much as mm-hmm. they do now. So that's for for that reason alone would be a, a wonderful incentive. So you know what's what's very you you asked the question about one of the benefits, and this kind of plays off what you're talking about. When I used to go to the to the store to the mall, someone would open the door and go in and not hold the door for me because I was just this obese older woman. I get held the door for more often than I can count now, and it's not because I'm frail. Um, <laughs> Because you're a fox. <laughs> I don't know, but people will hold the door and, and say, uh, you know, go ahead and, and they'll chat with me. How are you doing? And, you know, people will talk to me in line. And I had the guy at Costco. I, I was at Costco the other day and I had a whole bunch of stuff in my in my bin. And the the guy who was packing said, wow, this looks really healthy. You've got only healthy food here. And I had like tenderloin and mayonnaise and butter and and he says yeah but he says really good food but this is really fattening I said I'm a dietitian this is this is what I eat and <laughs> his face he says are you a real dietitian <laughs> I got a master's degree uh does that count I said I used to be a fat dietitian now I eat this stuff and he looked like I <laughs> But people talk to me like I'm actually a human being. I mean, I don't get the attention I did when I was 16 or 18 or 20. That, I mean, that would be nice, but it's not going to happen when you're, you know, a woman of a certain age. But I get treated like an actual human being. I get treated with respect. Yeah. I, I, get, I get asked my opinion. I have people say after you. I was invisible before, if, or if anything, I was the object of, of um, maybe silent scorn or, you know, judgment. There's something about being good looking that, <laughs> like, <laughs> I know it sounds really arrogant, but. Uh, it, I think it's can't... how we feel about ourselves. I, I wouldn't necessarily say I'm that good looking. 
I mean, you know, people like my, my sons will look at the pictures that on my webpage that were just taken when I uh, updated it recently and say, wow, you look really good for an old lady. Okay, well, they're my sons. That's what, you know, that's what I'm going to get. They're 27-year-old twins and a 26-year-old, you know, not bad for an old lady. But I feel good about myself. I look in the mirror and feel, I, you know, for, for an older woman, I, I'm pretty well put together, you know, and that's, that's okay. My grandmother lived to 104. Wow. She was not a beauty. She was not a beautiful woman. But she, she at a hundred, she was taking her walker and going to the out of her apartment down the street to the shopping center nearby to buy things at the grocery store that she would put in a walker and walk back. She was self sufficient. She struck up conversations with everybody, and everybody talked to her and loved her and interacted with her. She used to call herself Madame Fifi. She was from Paris, and she had a, an air about her. She was slim you know, slight, the only one in our family who didn't have a weight problem. Yeah. And she lived feeling good about herself and who she was and comfortable in her own skin. And I always desired to model myself after her. And to a certain extent, I think I've succeeded because I'm comfortable in my own skin. I'm okay with having wrinkles and gray hair. People say, well, you know, if you dyed your hair, you would look younger. I'm like, I earned every one of these white hairs. They're badges of honor. Why would, you know, or if you got a little tummy tuck or you got a little bit of Botox, it's like, this is who I am. I, you know, and I'm, and I'm okay with it. That's really great, Joy. And I, I wasn't planning on, on spruiking this, but I, I will, because I think it's really important because of the beautiful nature of technology, Joy does telemedicine. Are you allowed to call it telemedicine? Uh, or teleconsulting? Thinking, people call it telemedicine. I was thinking of calling it um, telehealth or something, but it's not even tele because it's Tallahassee. Uh, <laughs> it's via online, but it's a virtual. I have a virtual practice across Canada, uh, every province in Canada except PEI, and to other countries, including the United States. And I have some clients in Australia, New Zealand. Um, I do nutrition education, so it's it's the same. My knowledge doesn't change because I'm providing. Uh, nutrition education as opposed to dietetic services. But the way I present the information is not in a clinical fashion, but rather that help people, you know, get on a a low carbohydrate meal plan, evaluate what's the best way to do it for them. I look at their blood work so that I understand better their health and I can teach them the nutrition education that they need. I can't, you know, obviously give them the clinical support that I could if I was a dietitian in their country. But most people in, you know, even in Canada are not looking for me to, you know, help them do some kind of clinical feat. They want to lose weight and get healthy and, you know, keep it off. And, and so nutrition education is just fine. Yeah. Uh, on my webpage, there's a description of how it works and it's a HIPAA compliant and Pepita compliant software that I use. It's a telemedicine software. And uh, so it's, uh, you know, not Skype or FaceTime that, you know, it's, it's secure. Yeah. And I help and coach people around the world on how to do, you know, their own journey. This is my journeys on there, but that's just my N equals one story. Everybody yeah. has their own journey to health and recovery and weight uh, management. And uh, I help people find their way and achieve their goals. 
What's your proudest health recovery story of someone that you've you've had oh. as, a, as a as a client? You're allowed to share that. You don't have to say any names. Yeah, it's actually on my webpage. I this woman, it's a young woman who came to me. She had just started on insulin. Her doctor just started her on insulin, and she wanted me to help her start a low carbohydrate diet. And How I old said, was she? I'm, How old was she? Do you know? Um, late twenties. Okay, so she's young and super heavy. And uh, she started injecting herself with insulin. I said, I am not a CDE. I'm not a, a, a certified diabetes educator. So if you can work with your um, endocrinologist to get off insulin, I will, you know, teach you how to do a low carbohydrate diet and monitor your blood sugars. And, you know, I'll work with your endocrinologist. And the doctor said, well, we could have done this months ago, but she wanted to conceive and get pregnant. And like, you don't have time for this. Just take the insulin. And she says, no, I want to do this. So he got her off the insulin and we started a low carbohydrate diet. And, uh, and I do have to mention that on my webpage, I've got an article about don't try this at home. If you're on insulin or you're on medication for type 2 diabetes or you're on hypertensive medications, don't just go on a low carbohydrate or ketogenic diet because it could become serious. You could get seriously ill. You could end up with ketoacidosis, which is not ketosis, and it can be very, very dangerous. So I will work with people's doctors to get them off the medication to deprescribe the medication. And when she got off insulin and she started, um, I designed a meal plan for her, and she was charting her blood work and and her numbers she has a little mini story posted on my webpage uh, if you look up getting off insulin i think she 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 blogged three different times on my um on my site because i wanted people to realize even if you're shooting insulin because you can't manage your diabetes it's not game over this woman got off of it she lost a, a fair amount of weight but more than anything her blood sugars were as close to amazing as I thought they could be. And now she's waiting to have her child. She's pregnant and she's probably at the tail end of her pregnancy at this point. And yeah, that, that was just because I'm not a CDE and I don't counsel people on how much insulin to take. I have to work with people's physicians and people's physicians are actually very willing to work with me when they see you know, my evidence base for doing things and that I'm a researcher, published researcher, and that I'm working with, I will work with people's doctors to, so that they can deprescribe the medication safely. And another, another example is a woman I can think of who I taught to do a low carb diet before when I was still a fat dietitian. <laughs> Two years before I did it, I taught her and there were three women who, when I first was exposed to the idea of a low carbohydrate diet, and I, I asked them if they want a standard meal plan or they want me to, you know, wait until I had finished reading the literature and coming up with a plan on how I was going to do it. And they wanted to wait. I said, it might be two or three months till I can do your meal plan. Nope, that's fine. And at that point, Jason Fung and Mason Ramos both helped me get started in setting up meal plans for people, which I'm very, very grateful for. One of the women, all of three of them are still slim, but one of the women up until COVID was sending me pictures every time she'd go down to Mexico or to um, Florida on a trip or, or to Europe, and she'd 
send me pictures of her in her bathing suit from the beach. Brilliant. When I started two years later, she's been my biggest cheerleader. Every time I post a picture of, you know, I lost three pounds, I lost one inch. She was like cheering me on every step of the way. So I had people who I helped do it before I ever did it. And that's why I say what makes it true is the science, not the size of, not how much weight I've lost. What makes it true is it's evidence-based and it's based on, you know, really good, solid research, which is why I have over 200 articles on my webpage. People can read them for free. They're there under uh, Food for Thought tab. And there's references. You can check them. You can read the papers and see if what I say is true. Well, I believe you, Joy. (laughs) I do. I do. And and this has been rather extraordinary and I, and I love hearing these stories and I, and I hope if you're listening that you're writing these names down and if you haven't um, we'll, we'll include as many of them as we can in the in the notes below because these are some extraordinary people um, I've just had some correspondence with Ivor Cummins who's going to come on the show as well which is another uh, extraordinary individual that I know you uh, are very close with or close enough with and Surround yourself with these people because they are onto it. They are the pioneers of this movement, this metabolic health movement, which is on track to to cripple the Western world financially if we don't do mm-hmm. something about it drastically. And or kill no- us if a if a virus that's a little more serious than COVID comes around. I mean, that's you exactly see what right. COVID's done to people who are obese and have type two diabetes. What would an Ebola virus do? What would a virus that's much more potent do if, uh, to those with you know pre-existing conditions? We have the opportunity now with COVID as a warning of what happens to people who are metabolically unwell. We have nineteen-year-olds in Ottawa that died. 19-year-olds aren't supposed to die of things like COVID. You know, what you know, we have to 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 look at this as a as a warning bell. And this is actually why Ivor Cummins and myself and Dr. Paul Mason, uh, under the direction of Kwajo, I can't even pronounce his last name, Dr. K, um, <laughs> did the uh low carb um and ketogenic approach to health uh summit three weeks ago was because uh, Quajo is passionate about people getting metabolically healthy so that they can fight off the next pandemic. Heaven forbid, Joy. Heaven forbid. Maybe this is the clear out that we need. Maybe this is the clear out that we need. If you are a fatty, you need to get your shit sorted because you could be next. That's a great incentive to want to get yourself fit and healthy and sexy, in my opinion. Being, being there for feeling well, being well, having good um, metabolic markers and being there for your children and your grandchildren and to live life to the fullest that it's meant to be lived is is even beyond, uh, you know, feeling or looking, quote, sexy, being healthy and, and having um, and being a good example for your kids and your grandkids and being able to enjoy them, do things with them, play on the floor with them, chase them around uh, the ball field play cricket with them or whatever. You can't do that. I couldn't walk around a frigging track when I was fat. How on earth would I play with my future grandchildren? No truer words were ever said, Joy. I think this is a good place to to wrap this up. But before we do, is there anything that you'd like to finish on for our wonderful audience? I think if I could encourage people that if I can do it, you can do it. 
if I can have two degrees on the wall, one from McGill University, where I graduated with distinction, and one from the University of British Columbia, a master's degree, and I was obese and had type 2 diabetes and hypertension and a bunch of other things, and I could, following best clinical practice and following the science, the evidence of the science that's out there, doing it in a sensible, well-designed way, it's safe, it's effective, it's endorsed by the EASD, the uh, di- uh, American Diabetes Association, Diabetes Canada, all recognize low-carb ketogenic diets as safe and effective for reversing these type 2 diabetes and obesity. So do it safely, do it sanely, but do it. Do it as if your life depends on it, because guess what? It does. Low-carb, healthy-fat dietitian. I'll put in a plug, lcf-rd.com. You can read my story. You can read my 200-plus articles, and you can see all my fat pictures that there, too. Don't you worry, Joy. We'll, uh, it'll be there. I think, we, I think we've got it in there enough times. It's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training. Well, I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O-E-S.com.